Chapter Twenty Six of Prophets, Priests, and Kings by Alfred George Gardiner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Six. Lord Curzon. Lord Curzon would have been a great man if he could occasionally have forgotten Lord Curzon. Health is always unconscious of itself. It is not until sickness that one is aware of the body. It is not until a nation has lost its freedom that it becomes conscious of itself, and the spirit of nationalism burns like a fever in the blood. And the mind in perfect health is equally self-forgetful. Lord Curzon has never enjoyed that health. He has dwelt in a house of mirrors. Wherever he has turned, he has met the dazzling vision of himself. Oxford was but a setting for one magical figure, Parliament the stage for one inimitable actor, India the background for one radiant form in purple and gold. When poor Sir Naylor Leland opposed him at Southport, he turned and rent him as if he were a dog desecrating the sanctuary. When simple St. John Broderick, forgetful of the Balliol days when he had been honoured by the notice of the Honourable George Nathaniel Curzon, dared to veto his action in India because he feared Lord Kitchener even more than he feared Lord Curzon, he forbade him his presence. Where he went, Mr. Broderick must not be. He would not have him in the same social hemisphere. He must get a hemisphere of his own god may forgive him he is reported to have said but i never will it is one of mr chesterton's jolly maxims that a man should be able to laugh at himself poke fun at himself enjoy his own absurdity it is an excellent test of mental health man is a tragicomedian he should see himself the quaint forked radish that he is fantastic as well as wonderful he should see his mind ready to do battle and die if need be for an idea, but equally ready to get into a passion because his egg is boiled too hard. He should, in a word, see himself not as a hero, but as a man of strange virtues and stranger follies, a figure to move him to alternate admiration and laughter. Lord Curzon has never laughed at himself. He has only admired and from this immense seriousness, this absence of the faculty of wholesome self-ridicule and self-criticism, issue those mistakes with which his career is strewn, a type of which was his appeal to the sympathy of the world for having asked for and been refused a seat in the House of Lords. It seemed to him an insult to majesty. It seemed to the world a joke it kept the satire of his oxford days true to the mature man it made credible all those strange stories of the pomp and circumstance of the durbar of the viceroy who would not touch swords with the chiefs but left that menial function to the duke of connaught and who turned the wild extravagance of that colossal show into a triumph in which he filled the role of imperial caesar this grandiose vision of himself as caesar was at the root of most of his mistakes in india it was responsible for example for that adventure into tibet an adventure without motive and without consequence except the motive of personal reclame and the consequence of shooting down a defenceless people like a flock of sheep and burdening the indian peasant with his income of two pounds a year with new taxation a high price to pay for the glory of being the first viceroy to penetrate to lhasa 
it was responsible for that costly folly of the durbar the people were dying of famine and of plague and he gave them a circus for which they had to pay out of their misery it was responsible too for that stupendous white elephant the victoria memorial which is sinking into the mud of the maiden at calcutta the people asked for a memorial that would regenerate their industry a great scheme of technical and scientific education mr j n tata the wealthy parsee offered to start such a scheme with a quarter of a million of money it was refused and the people were offered an idle showpiece in lord curzon's grandiloquent phrase a snow-white fabric arising from the green expanse of the calcutta maidan the taj of the twentieth century he might have given india an instructed people he promised a pretty toy it was this view of the mild hindu as a child to be amused and paternally governed that was the vice of his method he was aloof on olympus india had no access to him hindus like mr gokal one of the ablest men and noblest characters with whom i have ever come in contact and mr surendra nath Benerjee, were ignored they were natives children like the rest had he listened to them that fatal partition of bengal would never have been carried out or would have been carried out differently it was carried out ruthlessly and no more momentous act was ever accomplished it has set india alight with a flame that will never die down when i went out to india in nineteen o two said a well-known englishman to me there was no national movement to-day all the land ferments with new national ideals we owe that to lord curzon's provocative policy he has created the new india it is good that there should be a new india it is not good that it should come to birth with the bitter feeling of british injustice the exaggerated sense of one's own place in the scheme of things involves depreciation of the place of others lord curzon always underrated the indian intelligence and always forgot that the indian was a man with the sensibilities of a man if you prick him will he not bleed if you tickle him will he not laugh he often laughed at his lordship sometimes good-naturedly as when at the time of the durbar lord curzon organized a show with the admirable idea of promoting native industries he denounced those who got their furniture and their artistic ideals from tottenham court road the retort was crushing it was pointed out that his residence at the durbar had been furnished by maples whose business is actually in tottenham court road sometimes the laughter had a ring of anger everyone remembers that blazing indiscretion at the convocation of calcutta university when addressing the bengali students and the cream of intellectual india he spoke of truth as a western virtue and more than hinted that the orientals like the cretans were liars and that they were given to flattery and other anus sins a shudder went through society how would india take this insult the situation was saved by a hindu with a characteristically tenacious memory he went home took down a problems of the far east by george n curzon and a day or two later there appeared in the amritsa bazaar patrika side by side with the offending passages in the speech the following extract from lord curzon's book 
before proceeding to the royal audience i enjoyed an interview with the president of the korean foreign office having been particularly warned not to admit to him that i was only thirty-three years old an age to which no respect attaches in korea when he put to me the straight question always the first in the oriental dialogue how old are you i unhesitatingly responded forty dear me he said you look very young for that how do you account for it by the fact i replied that i have been travelling for a month in the superb climate of his majesty's dominions finally he said to me i presume you are a near relative of her majesty the queen of england no i replied i am not but observing the look of disgust that passed over his countenance i was fain to add i am however as yet an unmarried man with which unscrupulous suggestion i completely regained the old gentleman's favour india was dissolved in laughter it almost forgave the insult for the sake of the jest coupled with his exalted view of himself lord curzon has an energy industry and capacity that are probably unrivalled they showed themselves at oxford where he missed his first in greats the indignity cut him to the quick it must be wiped out by heroic means he must win the lothian prize he went away to egypt with his books of reference he worked incessantly came back to london spent a fortnight at the british museum putting the finishing touches on his work and at midnight on the last day for receiving the essays dashed up in a cab to the schools awoke the porter handed in his essay and won the prize with a similar fury of industry he later won the arnold prize this power of work he has always shown in india he was the wonder of the service his hand was everywhere nothing was delegated no subject was too microscopic to escape him he instructed the government proofreaders in the correct use of the comma and called the bengal government to book for three errors in the inscription placed on macaulay's calcutta house i remember one incident of this abnormal industry and personal sensitiveness an article criticizing him had appeared in a london paper it came back to the editor neatly pasted on foolscap sheets of paper in the margin he had written for private information an elaborate and detailed reply to every sentence he was not loved by the officials that is not necessarily to his discredit no viceroy who did his duty to india would be loved by the officials he had gone out with the gospel of efficiency and he was imperious in his reforms and in the insistence on his supremacy the famous note on departmentalism is still a classic in indian official circles it is read nights over the pipe and the glass and such passages as departmentalism is not a moral delinquency it is an intellectual hiatus still makes the rafters ring there was never a viceroyalty so full of the drama of action every day had its new sensation in every scene the limelight was upon him and india to-day for good and evil is largely what he made it many of his reforms were excellent many of his practical schemes admirable he held commissions and inquiries and what is more acted on them his irrigation scheme was a great and worthy effort to combat famine he made a brave stand for the right of the indian to equal justice 
his action in regard to the ninth lancers was high and courageous the evidence pointed to one of them having been guilty of the murder of a native cook a common enough occurrence they refused to disclose the murderer he degraded the regiment when it marched past at the durbar all official india applauded loudly it was meant as a rebuke to lord curzon sitting there silent upon his horse i hope he saw that it was not a rebuke but the proudest compliment of his career nor do i think he was wrong in the final rupture with lord kitchener at any rate he stood for a great principle the civil control of the army no estimate of lord curzon would be complete which omitted the fact that he has fought his battle with the handicap of physical weakness he has lived his life as it were on broken wing to that we may trace the defects of temperament and outlook nor can one forget the tragedy of his domestic life the loss of the brilliant partner of his career in circumstances full of pathos a brilliant man full of energy full of ambition full of capacity still young though more than forty burning to be in the heart of the fight he finds himself with no path open no role to play his career closed ere it was well begun the brilliant indian episode left him stranded on the political shore for a time he cast longing eyes upon the house where he had once been the best-graced actor and where his eager temperament could alone find scope for play then he turned sadly to the house of lords and the shades of that decorous prison-house closed on his imperious spirit End of chapter 26